0: I started shaping um, 1963, 64. I started surfing and shaping almost the same time. What made me get into shaping was uh, a friend of mine that owned a surf shop. He invited me down. Said, "Why don't I shape my own board?" I go, "No, I I don't do that." He had a bunch of blanks that he bought really cheap, so it's no problem. So I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna get off in the next two days, then I'll come down. So that was started me. Now, when I first did that board, it, it took me 12 hours. But when I finished it, to me it was like, wow. Now, coming from the guy that owned the surf shop, he was a glasser and he shaped boards too. And he told me, You sure you never shaped boards before? (laughs) So again, I'm watching surfing and the boards had to be tweaked. The board had
1: to go where it's gotta go.
0: I've got a Hawaiian name and I'm proud of it. And I wanted to get into the surfing world. That's where I want it.
2: This past Friday, January 15th, Ben Ipa passed away due to complications from a stroke and Alzheimer's disease. He was 78 years old. Big Ben's exit coincided with a seismic swell event on Oahu's North Shore, the venue of much of Ben's influence. As if heaven's embrace of Ben created a vacuum backdraft of energy that reigned unimaginably large and perfect swell, the likes of which only the world's heaviest, most prepared surfers would be able to harness. Jerry Lopez once said about Ben Ipa, when you see Ben coming, don't think, just get out of the way. And that's precisely what mortals did on January 16th on the North Shore. CT surfer Connor Coffin even posted the forecast on his Instagram stories and commented that he'd be enjoying the action from his sofa.
0: I got a shot of me somebody took when I must have been about 240 pounds coming to a a contest over here, state contest, carrying two boards under my arm, you know, my hair was long, I had a a beard, a mustache, and uh, it looked mean. (laughs) So I kind of used it. Okay, I, I kind of use it where I don't have to say anything. They just look at me in the lineup and I can get waves as long as I don't blow that wave. Being a very athletic person, you know, and the aggression came in, of course, when I'm positioning and, you know, pedaling for the wave and, you know, making the statement on the maneuver, you know, not yelling people off the wave, not yelling people pedaling out just making a statement on my performance on the wave. So I kind of like was doing it for, hey, there's a lot of big guys out there. Come on, go surf. You know, that kind of thing, you know? I'm a linebacker, okay? The wave come in. The wave is an offense. I'm going to take it down because eventually the wave will take me down. <laughs>
2: This IPA swell exceeded everyone's expectations. Most of the North Shore's most famous reefs were nullified. The swell was too big for pipe, too big for sunset. Waia Mayo was closing out. The outer reefs, normally dormant, were not only breaking, but they were firing. 30-foot waves were barreling and peeling down the reef flawlessly for hundreds of yards. The very few qualified and capable surfers who ventured out had the once-in-a-lifetime chance to actually surf their 9- and 10-foot surfboards. Not just make a drop and bottom turn, like usual big wave surfing, but steer those boards down, through, and around mountains of water. Mark Healy said, quote, I've never gone faster on a surfboard in my life. I saw some of the best waves I've ever seen that day, end quote. And Ben Ipa was somewhere in this. He's pulsing through all of it. Sure, maybe spiritually, like the various Andy swells that happen to show up each year on his birthday or the Scion swell, but I also mean that literally. Ben coached a lot of these surfers and he gave them the foundational tools that they needed on this day. He invented and shared surfboard design elements that were shaped into every one of the surfboards written this day, January 16th. Important figures are often remembered and written about with a chronicling of contributions and influence, but true icons, people like Ben Aipa, their influence is impossible to track. It's baked into so much of Hawaii's surf culture, and thereby surf culture at large. His influence is impossible to tease apart, and it's also impossible to imagine what surfing would look like if Ben had never existed. In January 2020, I was able to spend an afternoon with Ben's son Akila to hear his perspective on his father, his influence, and here's what Akila had to say.
3: Not, not, I got to see him become everything from being, you know, my my dad had, I guess, me not early, but a little later. So in his eyes, and I feel like sort of this this time vault or time capsule for surfing because I got to see the evolution of boards going from eleven to ten to nine eight seven six five fives you know know, so when they started chasing it hard to watch that happen right in front of my eyeballs in front in our home and see the evolution of board design it it was just so neat and Mm -hmm. then to see not just the surfing part of it but on the back end of it part where people didn't see was my dad as a mentor to these kids trying to consume their time by taking them skateboarding too you know so you know, one thing about Hawaii is not many, di- not different from many other places that kids grow up really fast here, on the street. You know, whether you're Waikiki or West Side or I don't care what side you're on. So there's a lot of outside influences that that steer kids wrong, like other places. So I think my dad tried to provide a a platform for the kids to keep them with a direction rather than watch them go in three directions. And I know that that was part of the reason in the case. So have those guys in our home and our lifestyle and then the skateboard with them and to, to watch my dad go through kind of a mentorship and then evolve into coaching and then board design, board evolution is pretty cool to, to see that as a kid and then watching my dad coach and then uh, judge all the triple crowns out here, you know, from the inception of professional surfing, I basically grew up in the stands at all the triple crowns you know, in the judges' stand back when I could freely go up and hang out with the spots. Spotter, I could hang out with the head judge. I'd look over his shoulder because there's it was an open stand, and my dad was judging, so I was free to roam up there. You know, so really fun to be in that environment before it was so sterile, kind of like it is now. For sure, you know. So yeah,
2: I had no idea about the skateboarding (coughs) detail. Your dad skated too?
3: My dad skated some, but he more or less he even shaped the boards and made the boards out of wood. There were mini surfboards. I didn't know that. And, and so my favorite photo of my whole life, and it's I've lost it in four or five moves now, but was a black and white photo at Hawaii Kai Elementary of, of buttons on my left, Mark Liddell on my right, where all Papa Wheelie grinding the back of your skateboard with the two front wheels up and the back wheels on the ground. But... All three of us are on handmade wooden boards with my dad's logo glass on the bottom mm-hmm. bottoms with the boards hand shaped by him. I'm not sure in what class or what or wood because I used to go to schools and do seminars shaping board building and and, and I'm not sure where the wooden um, s- skateboards came from. or I didn't I don't remember seeing my dad make those at the time, but I just remember riding them and then the wallows part where. I, animal chin and all these skaters had such a big influence from guys like buttons and all those guys skateboarding walls and to grow up there and remembering the grass tube and watching these guys drop in and skateboarding and basically they were surfing the pavement because they're that surf psyched and stoked Mm -hmm. and when the waves sucked that was their other outlet so i think my dad tried to just keep it positive for these kids because a lot of them got sucked into other things real quick you know growing up fast
2: for sure Um, um were those skateboards sold commercially at all? I mean, I don't no, remember I even don't seeing
3: think them ever. They're just for friends, basically. Yeah. And I, I, wish they were because well, they he didn't put the stings on them. He didn't put the wings on them. I don't think you know, he did yeah. have that kind of time. But pretty cool that we're, we were that passionate about skateboarding. And then some of my youngest memories of going to California is my dad dragging me to skate parks, looking up the hill, looking at these snake runs, and just seeing guys going. Whoosh, all the way down the hill. And it was the coolest thing ever. Cause like I said the surf wasn't always good in California. So right. you look up and they had the stairs on the side and guys are just doing laps, you know, after yeah. laps. And then and unfortunately I think that was what the early seventies was a Grom. And then I think mid seventies is when, oh, you guys are vagrants. Those are how those are terrible places for kids to be yada yada. And they started breaking them all down, unfortunately. But when I was young, I was pretty sure they're everywhere. And you knew how to find all those little like trains that had all the runs, all the places that had the snake run <laughs> parks it was mm-hmm. it was the thing to do before skate parks i think
2: yeah almost, backyard or, pools yeah, that yeah. were emptied out and that stuff too yeah. but no there
3: are these runs I, I don't know what parks they are called or what runs they were but they're they're amazing like i said as a kid you look up you know this little hill and guys are just whoosh, whoosh, like basically surfing the hill down right and, and, and that snake run thing was yeah pretty pretty dope to see
2: um what did your dad expect of you i mean considering that he's kind of fostering a lot of youth and guiding them how did he treat you as a kid? Was he your coach surfing? He was Did my he coach. expect you to become a uh, board shaper?
3: I don't know what he expected of me because he never laid that on me. Okay. I was, I was lucky enough to just dip in, in and out and be what I wanted to be and be supported for it. My competitive nature and drive was up to me and what I wanted to be. But with him as a coach, you know, there's a dynamic there. So I, I'm learning to coach now, and I saw how he had to separate it, and me and my dad had to practice how to separate it. So. He was my coach at the beach, but once we got home, he was my father, and it was nice to have that balance because in these environments now you see kids with fathers that don't know how to shut it off. So even at home, they're coaches. So my dad was a professional coach, but at home he was my father, and so I was lucky, and he was lucky that we had that balance so we wouldn't have to butt heads. I don't want to come on talk surfing with my dad. My dad made surfboards and coached. He didn't want to come on talk surfing with the family. My little brother and mom and family didn't want to hear that crap. You know, they, they it's family time. Good. so we we had a surf time and a work time and then we had family time and like i said i think that was a nice balance for us to have as a father-son coach so
2: i'm glad to hear that i wonder about that um you see somebody like gabriel medina whose dad is on the beach or felipe toledo too mm-hmm. and there's no separation whereas like coloe at some point realized pops is going to be pops and i'm going to hire snips to do the coaching well it's you funny know? you
3: say that okay so there's a crazy dynamic there because in their professional care- career pretty sure snips and and dino weren't the best of buds right so for dino to let that down to accept snips as a professional and know that snips is the best professional for a son says a lot so a lot of dads can't let go and and i've got to give some dads respect because the dads get you there to a certain point but has the dad surfed any ct events has he traveled and done the tour has he he, um, does he understand all those dynamics that comes with being a professional dino does and he's willing to step away even if that's that's seen a lot so if you're a regular dad and you see a dad that's done it all and he's still willing to wait step away and give it to someone all that does is save his relationship with his son Probably totally. he can be a dad he can wear one hat totally. all these dads like i said they're trying to be superman and wear 10 hats it's it's deteriorating on them and their relationship with their sons or their daughters from what i see and it's easy to see that when you're far when you're dad, you're in it. You think, "Oh no, no, no! I'm good." And then you, from afar, you see how toxic it is. You see them rah rah letting out on the kid. You see the poor kid not stoked. Exactly. You see the kid hanging their head. You see the kid getting in the car. Dad and kid don't talk. You're like, you see that way too commonly too often. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what it should be. So I think it's about accountability. You know, I'm, I'm coaching now, and the parents ask me how I do it. It's not about me. It's about the kids. Oh, it's how, what do you want out of this, and what are you willing to put into it. Once you accept that, it's so much easier to deal with. That was on our responsibility when my dad coached us. And whether it was Gerlach, Sonny, whoever he was coaching, there's there's no babying this along. You're treated as a professional and you either come to the table as a professional or please don't come and waste anyone's time. So, you know, I think a lot of the problem with being a parent is sometimes you bring that comfort blanket along and then you don't have no one to cross that line of discipline this is work you know because then it becomes this one big blur of oh we're here it's fun you know like if it's fun great or are you looking to get a result out of it is this a, your job or is yeah. this training to be your job right you know it should be an internship <laughs> yeah basically to get to the real show right so back to you know like gabby and his dad and and felipe's dad on tour i don't know you know personally i look at that as weakness However, anyone else wants to see it. You know, you got your dad jumping in the the shorebird screaming like a monkey. That that cracks me up. That just tells me, fraw, what? Like, this is a grown man's tour. You know, like, if you can't come to the table on what you're not confident enough with with your tooling and your skills, is someone with pom poms really going to do anything for you? Like I said, as a coach, I coach the student surf. I can't go out there and yell at you and yell you and will you into shit. This is a self motivating sport. If you don't got it, don't fucking come pretty simple yeah
2: and yet he has two world titles
3: and more respect to him he's a damn good competitor he's a beast yeah you know so I don't think daddy's really doing anything for him but maybe he is he's keeping him in the moment he's doing things that we might not see and more respect to him and and there's maybe something there that's working or it wouldn't be there and that's not for me to say that's for their camp to say and it's obviously working because he has
2: even if it's working now I'm more concerned about what the long term like can you preserve the father-son relationship behind the scenes it's great that you're winning world titles professionally so but for us but does that it, compromise it matter us because it's
3: an opinion that's only for them to say exactly because yeah. behind closed doors if they love each other and they got a great working relationship and they know when to shut it on and off more power to them yeah who cares what they look like on TV yeah dad can be a jumpy monkey all he wants they're still winning world titles if that's working for them that's their formula yep fine yep I mean but I don't I don't know I don't think I would want to operate like that I look at the guys I, I look at that inspire me like Phil Jackson and, um, Jordan Popovich, you know, like, oh. like as far as coaching, like yeah, yeah. they're the last guys jumping up and down. They don't need pom poms to inspire you to do your job. They have words of wisdom and formulas. And if you can't adhere to that, don't waste their time or your time.
2: Mm-hmm. You know?
3: So, I mean, like I said, they, I think they're pretty professional about what they're trying to do. And to me, I think they get all the hard work done in the practice sessions behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, that's so like interesting. I said, they don't need
3: to pop their head off in the heat of the moment. They're, if they're your generals and they're calm in the heat of moment, I think your whole everybody falls behind that. Personally, I like that kind of you know in the, in the heat of moment. I like when guys can think clearly and sharply and make really good decisions. And to me, that's the signs of a pretty solid coach like you know like Belichick and all these guys that live in that moment. That come out on top for the most part most times you know they're making the, the best decisions in the craziest of times because they're thinking clearly and that's pretty respectable uh what's your pops up to now pops is pretty chill right now pops has had a very rough couple years health-wise he con- contracted sepsis in the hospital and almost almost went you know we almost lost him so he's gone through some pretty radical holy cow Radical times here in the last two years. Is he he's in Oahu. He's in the Big Island. He's slowly yeah. recovering. He's retired. He's he, he lives there with his wife and real quiet. And yeah, it's been it's been tough for us, you know. So it's it's pretty gnarly watching your alpha family everything go from that to to struggling to not. You know, I'm lucky that he's alive, and we're just lucky that my son has a grandpa. You know, okay. so so it, it, you know, life is precious.
2: Ben started surfing late in life, in his early 20s after an ankle injury ended his semi-pro football career, and he began shaping surfboards simultaneously, mainly making single fins and replicating the popular designs of the day. That was until he made a 13-year-old, muscly, rambunctious regular footer.
0: Uh, the motivation for me was uh, this kid, Larry Birdman. You know, At the time, he was just a kid, you know, 13 years old, cut out of school. And he's surfing. He was surfing on on things that he found. But in his surfing, he was completely different from what was in front of us. He was ahead of us.
2: Here's what Ben told me about Larry in 2014. We recorded this conversation in a uh, public place, so my apologies for the ambient noise.
0: I'm shaping. There's a hole in the wall, okay? And in the afternoon, the sun going down, I can you know, see a little light, right? One afternoon, I was shaving, of you know, course, oh, the light could tell me, okay, you know, I don't even look at my watch, you know, okay, time for going and all that. All of a sudden, I, I looked, and the light wasn't there. Okay, that looked good. I saw an eyeball. No way. Barry <laughs> was looking. He, he just lived around that area, the shop So I saw that, okay, and I never said anything. The next day, I saw it again. So I just I just walked out of the shop, went behind, it and I go, hey, what are you looking for? So I met the kid. That's unbelievable. So met the kid. The sting. At the time, he came in when I was just developing a swallowtail. OK.
2: In, uh had you seen swallowtails before, or did you
0: develop that on your I own? Or? For, for me, picking it up, I think in the past somebody did dovetail. What okay. okay. What is a quick? Which is the quickest turning bird? Swallow. Swallow. Yeah. Yeah. So I made the cut. You know, figure out how to shape it without breaking it. You know, without you sure. know, and, you know, first one I did, I broke the tail off. Yeah. You know, it was on the phone. Yeah. You know? So I, I got it down, looked at it, then I talked with the glasser guys, you know, I wanted it to be left and stuff like that. And that's how it started. Wow. So
2: Interesting. So it came from the bird, aerodynamics of a bird.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never heard that before.
0: Really?
2: Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, of course, because the name, but it just never dawned on me.
0: Well, you're looking at guys on the boards, you know, they try to emulate, you know, mm-hmm. birds. Yeah.
2: Was it at that time? Was it just like a eight foot, like single fin with a swallow tail on it, or had you yeah. started? Well, I okay. was really
0: short already because of Larry. Yeah. The, Larry was doing his thing, of course. There's a couple other local guys, local kids, mm-hmm. you know, saw this. So I watched these kids, and they, they look different. I mean, they were going low to the bar and like Larry, mm-hmm. you know, you know stuff like that. Because when, when I, when the first. Was working with Larry. Okay. He was trying to go 100 miles an hour <laughs> in one in one space. Yeah. Okay. So I worked with him and breaking it down, and the kid kind of understood, you know, what I'm what I was talking about. So he got into it. He developed a form that was far ahead. So far, man.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm looking at this going, you know, just for him being low and how he is actually not pivoting the board, but carving the board on a tight spot, you know? That's where the solo tail came in. Okay. He did it, you know? Then, of course, the other guys, you know, well, I think of I course, tell him I got them off what they had, and this was, was writing what Larry was writing. Okay.
2: So he was kind of the guy dictating the changes? Yeah. yeah. Then IPA, Swallowtail, has been utilized in a wide range of board designs ever since IPA introduced it on the South Shore in the early 70s, but it was originally used in part to create IPA's most iconic model, the Sting. The year I recorded this conversation, 2014, was his 50th anniversary of shaping, and to commemorate it, the boardroom show selected him as their icons of foam honoree. Scott Bass procured an original Sting, hand-shaped by Ben, in 1976. The board was shaped for Buttons Kuluyo Kalani, and it's the exact board, in fact, that he's paddling out at v in that iconic portrait of him, looking back over his left shoulder at photographer Jeff Devine and throwing a peace sign. For the Icons of Foam shaping competition, world-class shapers were tasked with replicating that buttons board in a 90-minute format, and then Ben and his son Duke would judge which most closely mirrored his original hand shape. The shapers were Roger Hines of Roger Hines Surfboards, Matt Calvani of Bing Surfboards, and Davey Smith of Channel Islands. I interviewed each of them to hear their thoughts on Ben and his influence in their work. And of course, we'll hear from Ben himself in today's episode. So first up is Davey Smith. Davey was a professional surfer and, believe it or not, a pioneer of the floater in the late 70s and then the aerial in the late 80s. And in the 90s, he transitioned into the Shaping Bay and took a position with his longtime sponsor, Channel Islands, where he maintained a vital role for the next 30 years.
4: Okay, Ben had just come out with a stinger and the whole thing was happening with Buttons and Larry Bertelman and Mark Lydell. Um, who else? I know I'm forgetting names, but on the South Shore. And it was so cool because it was it was groundbreaking in the sense of that they were pushing the limits like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And it was these, the whole thing of it was really cool because you had these young guys, these young kids just surfing the South Shore, just like enjoying life, you know, before the pressures of like work and all that. And Ben was there to shape them the stinger, or, or sting, like he likes to say. So it, it captured everybody's attention, you know, because it was just, it was like why we started surfing in the first place. It wasn't about competition, jerseys and all that. It was just well, like hanging out with your friends and having a great time. So You explained that as if it was different than what the current mood was? What was the current mood at the time? The current mood, as far as I could remember, you know, uh, it was single fins. People were riding single fins, but they were longer, you know, with the pulled in tail. And uh, so so they were great, but you just couldn't wrap them in, in the pocket of the wave. So you're always like, you know, charging out and drawing long lines, and that was cool. But with the Sting, you could put the fin all the way up, and with the sting, you could wrap that around in the pocket, and they were doing 360s and stuff, and it was just like way beyond what was happening, so.
2: Where, did you have, um, did you see that firsthand? Were you in Hawaii at all, or?
4: Well, being with Channel Islands, like, um, you know, it had, Ipa had such a big impact that everybody in California started doing the stings. So the first couple trips that I did to Hawaii, I actually took stings. Um so it was pretty cool. What was Channel Islands calling them? Everybody was just calling them the stinger. Oh really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even though
2: they weren't IPAs technically. Right,
4: yeah, everybody was doing stingers. Awesome. I mean it was it was similar to the thruster, you know, Simon Anderson did the thruster. And then everybody started doing the thruster. Right, right. right. So it very, very similar to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you ever meet Ipa early on in those days, or? Um, You know, I met Ben uh, one time at the beach at Rocky Point, I believe it was. I it was very vague recollection. Recollection. Yeah, recollection. (laughs) But. you know, because I had a C.I. Sting, and he's like checking it out. He's like, whoa, hey, bro, where'd you get that? You know, so it was it was very cool. Cool. What are, your, what are your
2: memories of Ben himself? Like, what kind of a presence did he have for that era on the North Shore and stuff?
4: Well, it wasn't, that was another thing. It wasn't really the North Shore. It was oh, the right. South Shore. Okay. Yeah, and you had just, you know, he was always like a, like a father figure you know, and, and to a whole group of guys and just a solid guy, yeah. you know, and I, I think that that resonated with a lot of people, you know, and especially that group that was just surfing the South shore, surfing these perfect waves, clear water and doing these crazy maneuvers. And, and Ben just happened to be there to facilitate that whole thing. Yeah. So it, it was very cool. How
2: important it is is it for you, you're coming from a professional surfing background, Ben obviously can surf. How important is it to have that skill set um, of being a good surfer while you're a shaper? How much does it affect your, you know,
4: your ability to shape? I think it, it affects your ability a lot, you know, because you're you're implementing your knowledge as a surfer into your shapes. So obviously, you know, when someone orders a board, they don't have all those nuances, Right. but you have the years of experience to put in the shape, to right. make it, you know, they may not ask for that, but you put it in there, they can't see it, mm-hmm. but you put in the things that, that make the board excel. So yeah. I think it's, it's hugely important. Yeah, because yeah. there's
2: guys who don't really surf who are still successful shapers. And I always wonder that, like, how do you, they just rely on feedback, basically surfers you know and I and they seem to be able to do it successfully but I've always wondered how they make that adjustment
4: yeah, yeah I, I think curious. that's a really great point I think that you can not be like a great surfer and be a great shaper yeah, see and to. I think some sometimes because if you're not that great of a surfer you, you're not gonna interject your oh. opinions to when okay. someone's ordering a board okay. you're not gonna go oh don't do it like this do it like this interesting so I I think there's I mean God I know so many great shapers that, that aren't that great at surfing so yeah that's interesting that's a good way to so I think it's kind of a you know it can work both ways for yeah sure.
2: yeah yeah it seems to be able to yeah um, what was your experience like
4: shaping in there right now for that hour and a half you know it's it's amazing I mean that generation I mean what craftsmen? you know God they're just they can use a planer like nothing else you know it's like it's you know it puts all of us to shame (laughs) you know it really does i mean those guys are gnarly you know it's just mowing foam doing like five boards like that a day so much i mean it's crazy i mean so i think that it's important stuff like this to make sure like myself and the younger generation all develop that craft you know and mm-hmm. design, even with the new technology, I think it's really always important. have
2: reverence for the planer. Right. Yeah.
4: Two. It's a dance. We know the moves.
0: So that came up with Buttons, Mark Liddell, and the powerhouse Dave Kilroy. Yeah. Know, you know the other guy was Michael Holt.
2: Right. What'd so. Be- how did those boards differ? Because, like, Dane and Michael, obviously, are surfing the North Shore.
0: Rocker volume. Okay. You know, how much entry rocker. You know Because at the time, the rockers were low. Right. And we had the beak, you know. Yeah. the beak. How does so, the
2: beak affect the performance of the board?
0: Oh, was, at the time, it was just look. It was just look. So everybody put the bump. Okay. okay. But when everyone is doing that, so instead of all the of like that, I was taking the bump. I was foiling it. Okay. Because these guys like foil foiling surfing. So I'm foiling that, that beak. So it looked it complemented what the board looked like. Uh-huh. It really did. The whole aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
2: Wild-winter. Warm
0: coffee. Martins. My- Mark Ladell Dinkelo. Their surfing again was so far ahead, the boards had to catch up with them. That's why they came in with the sting. Because these guys were riding their fins forward, they were surfing forward, and the boards in the back third wasn't reacting. So just by chance, I went down to K Lagoon. The fastest boat on water at the time, the hydrofoil boats. As they came into the turn, they dropped the throttle, but the momentum, the width of the, weight of the boat, boat kept going, and the cut on the side of the boat made the boat pivot without losing speed. I saw that, and that's what brought the sting in. It is a cover shot of buttons and mark that Kaiser's on the wall. They both had stings, um, and the, their boss had blue flame and green flame. That design caught fire <laughs> with those guys on the Flame Boys.
5: And what that board did was it really made the board go rail to rail easier because of the wing. The wing made the tail much narrower. So you have this big front half for your speed and your glide and your drive. But then when you really wanted to crank a turn, you could push on it as hard as you want because the tail pulls in but yet it acts like a fish kind of in the front, so, or, you know, gives you that, that surface area. So, and it's, it was a single fin, and the, the stuff that, you know, Buttons did on that board obviously is legendary. I think what it did is it took, it went from being like a big wave focus on Hawaii, like with, with Brewer and Parrish, and he, he basically brought things to the South Shore and brought performance surfing, more con- pre-contest surfing with Buttons and, uh, Larry Bertelman and those those kind of guys so he he pushed per, performance small wave surfing with that board primarily.
2: And this is a familiar voice. This is 2013 Icons of Foam champ and former Surf Splendor guest, owner and head shaper of Bing Surfboards, Matt Calvani. He began his career in 1985 with Hap Jacobs in the South Bay of Los Angeles, then worked with Dennis Jarvis at Spider, then Phil Becker at Becker Surfboards. In the year 2000, he partnered with Bing Copeland to transition into an ownership position with that legendary label, relocating the factory to Encinitas, California, where he still operates today.
5: I think when I originally saw Stinger was maybe back in the 80s, probably, you know, Early 80s and uh, at the time like I was I think I was airbrushing I airbrushed a couple boards because back in 85 that's when I started um, and I was like really like wow this is a really this is a really extreme design and didn't really understand it um, but then you know got got to know like kind of the background a little bit more with Ben and and then you know buttons and all that influenced you know and the guys that rode those boards and then, really, more, the more exposure I got with that board when I worked for, with Phil Becker, because he, you know, he pretty much shaped all the way from, you know, 63 to, like, you know, up until he retired, and he was, you know, he shaped everything, and he shaped probably five or 600 of those. And when I was shaping there, Becker, for, like, seven years, he had shaped probably, you know, 20 or 30 of them for guys that just wanted, uh, you know, an original sort of stinger from the 70s, you know? So, and I ended up shaping a couple back then, and, um, you know, it's sort of like you take your, you put your own take in the, on the board, and, and uh, you know, some, generally most of them had full rails back then, big rails, and, and that was the kind of thing, it was just like a, it was like a 70s board uh, with kind of a twist. Mm-hmm. Did you, um have any experiences back in those days with Ben himself did you ever spend any time in Hawaii no I never really I had met him uh maybe like five or six years ago through Bing he's friends with uh, Bing Copeland um I I knew people that worked with him um I knew his like uh his diligence of craftsmanship and his uh he was, very, he was very picky and very meticulous and he only works with certain people. And I had a guy that I had worked with for many years and he, he did some contract glassing for him when Ben came over and he was gonna get the license and Ben was always like, I you know I don't really want to do this but and he never really gave the license to the guy because he couldn't let go because he was just such a stickler for quality and not that the guy wasn't good it's just that uh, you know Ben is like a perfectionist and it's hard to get somebody else to think that way yeah and the guy that you know would have got the license was an amazing shaper and glasser, so interesting.
0: 71, 72 was still a single-finch thing okay 73, 74, even before that, the multi fin sifters was coming in already. Now, I ventured into putting fin boxes where that during the time was a no-no. no no. Now, they don't want to put boxes, drag. Here, I want to put boxes so I can play with my fins, stagger them, things like that. So, eventually, it caught on. It caught on, but it took a while again. Again, you know, during that time, because of the width and the thickness of the boards I was riding, you know, in order to get the kind of turns that these guys was getting, smaller guys, I had to, I had to do with something. You know, I had to do something. The third came in, third twin came in right after that, okay. When I needed more direction, in in order to get more direction on the twin, it's going to be bigger, but then it defeated the purpose of the idea of a, a looser board. So you put a keel keel right it wasn't a fin i guess it was a fin at the time okay i got this quarter inch ply i i cut a shape like this like a keel i sanded it down foil it got got glue glued it on the back tail of the board and used it right out here okay the the plywood keel fin was not glass because i was just trying something out. If it doesn't work, throw it away. I never did. I never did.
2: Our final Icons of Foam interview is with Roger Hines. His four decade history of board building spans from the North Shore of Oahu at Country Surfboards and Lightning Bolt to California's Bear Surfboards, Hobie, Harbor, and his eponymous Roger Hines Surfboard Label. He's a wealth of knowledge experience lots of stories and he's also the shaper that took the win at the 2014 shaping competition tribute to ben ipa
1: you know at 59 years old i've been able to come to a place that i love writing I, I was just in japan recently shaping and i took a, a board i had made Much like what I had stripped down and made in in the late 60s, it was a transition board. It was actually a template off of a a board from 68, but I put a good rocker to it and some good rails and a single fin. And I I rode it in Japan. I rode it here and in Japan. One thing I, I really love about a single fin is it forces you to smooth your style out.
2: Right.
1: And when you're forcing yourself to smooth your style out, for me, anyway, it just seems that it really comes together with when I'm riding a thruster or what have you.
2: It does for sure.
1: If you're not really gyrating, and for me, anyway, that's that's what I try to achieve. I like that. Been surfing since the mid '60s. Started building boards in the late '60s, stripping them down and uh, reshaping them into transition style boards. Okay. Glassing them alongside the house. Yeah, back then, there were no glass shops that would accommodate somebody. There's really no blanks available either. Right. Clark, Clark didn't sell them direct.
2: So you had to strip down the boards?
1: I, th- I think there was a place, uh, Rogers Foam in Santa Ana. I remember I think you could go there and get some blanks. Yeah. Okay. But uh, for the most part, they were sold at surf shops. and that, was, that seemed to be the easiest. It was... They were available. There were a lot of boards available. I was in the Vietnam and and people were still over there, leaving their boards behind and easy to come by.
2: So that was Orange County, obviously, is where you were growing yeah, up. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then I went to Hawaii in the early 70s. It's kind of like a light went on when I got there to really saw how it happened. I was in country surfboards watching uh, some guys glassing boards and it was pretty, uh, pretty life-changing at that point, was it? really to see, wow, this is how it's done? That's interesting. Yeah. But um, And then I got uh, together with uh, Kent Smith, who at that time was Pismo Beach surfboards. He went to Hawaii, he was working for Charlie Galanto, uh, actually working for Ben Ben Ipa, okay. working with him, and uh, he taught me a lot. Back then we were splitting the time between construction and surfboards because there was not full time in either of them. Right. It was Hawaii and nobody really wanted to work a whole bunch. We were there to surf. Sure. Um,
2: so did you live in Hawaii during that time? Or oh, yeah. How long yeah. were you
1: there? Spent almost, almost, it was most almost all the 70s. Okay. Back and forth from California to there. Nice. Whenever there was a lot of work, I would work, and when there wasn't, I'd build surfboards.
2: Can you tell me um, about kind of your exposure to Ben Ipa and kind of his influence and how he relates to, I don't know, your career?
1: Well, Ben, I didn't know him personally. I'd met him a couple of times, but he was bigger than life in the water. It's just a huge presence. We were surfing Sunset a bunch at that time. And, he, uh, just a gentleman. Quite the opposite of what you would picture a guy of his stature. Yeah. He was very kind and, and uh, great craftsman. I, I remember my friend Randy Rarick was telling me that when Ben started working at Surfline, uh, that's when they really started doing a lot of the sting boards. And uh, you know, they were, the, the guys at that time, it was kind of like little satellite groups on the North Shore in the early 70s. In the early 70s, you were either a Lightning Bolt or Brewer. And then the the steam guys came in, Buttons and Mark Ladell, and that just kind of changed everything, how they were surfing. Yeah. And that was... And then Dane. It, just, it kind of really started to change things really quick.
2: In what way? What way did it kind of influence A, your surfing, and B, your board
1: building? Well, they... Uh, were surfing inside the tube, which was not really done at that time. They were turning inside the tube. Gotcha. They weren't just straight line running. They, yeah. were, they were they were surfing inside the tube, and they were just all over the place. Pretty pretty fantastic to watch and be part of that action. Um, you know, and Ben has such a history that goes back so much further than me with with uh, surfboards, Makaha, and, and, and all of it. I mean, the guy's just so well rounded in all of his shape and abilities and And now Duke's at it, and uh, I know his other son, Akila. They just keep that that heritage going. That's pretty fantastic.
2: Well, it's interesting in surfing specifically how these guys who are super iconic that have this history that seems so, like, almost it feels old, but it really isn't. And they're still around, and they're still accessible, and still working. You know, there's not a lot of other things where you still have access to the Masters.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, there was a lot of um, shapers that came through the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s. And they, they, they made the transition every, every uh, era of that and still stayed at the top of the, of the pack with, with uh, their, their style of boards they were making. It's, and, and make no mistake, the Stingboard that they're making today... Is the same board that they were riding in the 70s. They've really ramped it up, and and so they've been able to bring that design and just take it and improve on it, improve on it, improve on it.
2: Do you have any experience riding the Sting?
1: Yeah, early on I rode a couple of them, and and I shaped quite a few of them in the 70s for for guys. And uh, but I don't go into this today with any. Uh, I'm not taking anybody lightly. I, I think everybody brings something to the table on this that. Uh, and I guess Ben's got some surprises, Does which me? should be interesting. And uh, it's not going to be an easy task. I think I think it's uh, I think just being part of this, you're you're a winner already. Just yeah, to be yeah. part of it, you know, to, just to be part of Ben's action and to be part of uh, the U.S. blanks and the whole deal here, Scott Bass. It just I don't know, you're pretty fortunate.
0: major goal in my, my label my, my brand my name oh, it's hawaiian for one thing in the industry less than a handful of actually hawaiian surnames in this thing and also the inspiration from duke hanamoku you know i learned a lot from duke Ahamoku in my swimming days okay in my swimming days okay we all, we all knew he was an Olympic champion and all that, you know, he'd come down to the three meets, you know. As for him, surfing, to me, never never clicked to me, okay? When I graduated, okay, I got more involved in other, other sports than I, I got into surfing three years after I graduated. And by this, then they start, this company was honoring Duke a contest for Duke And I just got into surfing. About only two years so myself and another surfer from Hawaii guys was asking how come you guys are not in it the Duke Hanabuka Invitational because we weren't well known outside of Hawaii when we were there watching the contest Duke came to us and go you guys are going to be in this contest next year so Duke got us in all I want to do is I want to share but like to what he shared. He is my, um, what's the word for it, man? My inspiration. In fact, my first son, I wanted to call him Duke, but my first wife had another name. Okay. My second marriage, first son, Duke. <laughs> I got it. Him- I got a Duke in the family. What was the last board that you rode? The last board I rode. Last boards that I ride. Okay. I got a quiver, and depending on the tide, you know, and they are all five feet setup. Oh, okay. But you know, I quad it a lot. Okay, six four, seven four, eight four, nine four, ten four. Same. Did. Same board design. Okay. If it's a Sting, they're all the same. Almost all the same dimensions. Okay. And all my boards average 24 wide, and the average four and a quarter. Wow. Hey man, I'm starting three now. That's awesome. I'm not gonna suffer. <laughs> yeah, you know? no kidding. So when I pedal out, and this guy can see me pedaling out. <laughs> Instead of trying to pedal out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, by doing this, can I hold my own form, you yeah. know? Not my style, but my form. Yeah. You know, am I gonna waste the weight? Right. So this accumulation, of what happened in the last 51 years. Yeah, exactly. using the body. Then, to, to get myself off the hook, okay? Inside my mind, compare with the other sports, what's the longevity of age in other sports? How, ten, far, can ten years? A, how far can a tennis player go? Okay. Golfing, they can go until they feel the effect, you know, from being constantly on the, you know, on the, on the course, you know, yeah. you'll feel something. It's going to affect the performance. Yeah. You know, basketball, football, there's a limit. There's a, there's a limit. I'm lucky. Oh, yeah. I'm lucky, man. I'm in my early 70s and I can still do it until this thing hit me through stretching, yoga, it ain't gonna leave. It's already developed, and not just from surfing. The planer, the blank, you know? That's probably pick, does it more than picking surfing. Picking up the planer, how many years, how many decades, okay? How many decades, you lean with a blank, screening, you know, all that, how many decades picking them up? I find ways, okay, I ain't gonna pick them up down here. I'm gonna set up a thing, you yeah. know, over here. Putting it back. Yeah. know, anyway, all that. Yeah. So, all the, all the years that I've been doing this, the body said, hey, that's it. Take it easy. Oh, well, take it easy.
2: <laughs> Special thanks to Fiberglass Hawaii for a series of profile videos that they did with Ben and whose audio I pulled. Uh, some of the clips for for this episode. You can find those videos along with photos and video of Ben shaping and surfing on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I've also got images of all of those icons of foam shapers and uh, their shaping at that event. And then of course, wrapping with Ben, Ben and Duke judging each of their entries. All of that's available on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And and then Ben Ipa's two sons, Akila and Duke, are both shaping surfboards and accessible at AquilaIpaSurfboards.com and IpaSurf.com, respectively. Of course, condolences to that entire Ipa family. And then also bravo to those who braved that Ipa swell on Saturday. We covered a lot of those waves written on this week's episode of Spit with Scott Bass, which you can find in your podcast feed. And then we will also be discussing it on The Grit with Chaz Smith, where we welcome special guest Chuck Patterson. That'll be available on Friday of this week on The Grit. So I hope that you enjoy that. I hope that you are well. I'll be back here next week with Britt Merrick, continuing this conversation about fathers and family legacy. So until then, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you, of course, to get back into the ocean, share some waves and shred on.